0: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the FutureTech and FutureTech Health Podcast, and I have Elizabeth Parrish, CEO of BioViva. Uh, It's a company committed to extending healthy lifespans using cell technologies, and Liz uh, wears many hats, humanitarian, entrepreneur, innovator, podcaster, and a leading voice for genetic cures, and uh, we're going to get into why and how. So, Elizabeth, thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on FutureTech. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, so... um,
0: you know, it's okay to have a recap, but what what's your whole motivation for wanting to be in the space of, you know, medicine and uh, specifically looking for genetic cures to various problems?
1: All right. So what got me started in this area uh, in a, a brief way, as I can possibly say, is, you know, my, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes after I had uh, done two years of uh, Area research in the area of stem cells, and so I had been working in the regenerative medicine area, trying to figure out out. You know, what were the caveats? Whether the technology was working, whether it was not working, and how to get education out there so we could get funding through to this vital technology. And when my son was diagnosed, I noticed that there was no translation of regenerative medicine in uh, two children um, in high need. That while I was in the hospital, there were other kids there that were were dying of diseases. And I realized that in medicine, what we do is, uh, we essentially treat symptoms. We have a sick care system instead of a healthcare system. We're not translating, uh, therapeutics through to patients fast enough to save their lives. We appear, it appears that bioethically we think that, uh, patients should rather die than take part in experimental medicine. And I really rally against that 100%. So um, I went and tried to learn about more uh, uses of regenerative medicine, specifically in genetics, because I had felt for a couple of years working in stem cells that essentially the mechanisms of the epigenetics in the cells, that the genes themselves were responsible for the regeneration and that if we could have that sort of outcome in a patient's body without having to apply stem cells, we would have a much better outcome. So I started looking at genetics. Ran into a SINS conference, uh, Aubrey de Grey's uh, group, uh, met with a bunch of geneticists and specialists in the area, asked them how this technology of aging could be translated uh, to childhood disease uh, because that was my focus target to cure. And it turns out that regenerative medicine and the aspects of using gene and cell therapy, still stem cells as well, uh, will actually create a lot of cures for a lot of childhood diseases whilst we tackle the biggest, uh, unmet need, which is biological aging. By treating biological aging, we can change the outcome of, uh, diseases that are preventable, preventable, like, uh, Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, uh, organ failure, like kidney disease, and uh, essentially not a, then bring those cures back to kids and then create a life for kids where they don't just get healthy for a couple decades only to become sick again with the diseases that we vastly die of so that is it in a nutshell and i i hope that made sense
0: yeah it's just you know there's uh well what i want to ask you is there's many conditions out there uh and then there's mechanisms so maybe first what are the particular conditions that you want to address first because you know. No one can really do them all. So is it type 1 diabetes uh, in children or what is it?
1: So essentially type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune uh, disease. There are a couple of really great uh, cell type technologies where they take the beta cells from the patients and put them into the liver or put them into capsules that the immune system cannot target. The cure for it though will vastly be in affecting genetics. We are not there yet. It's called a complex disorder. Where we're at in treating complex disorder is more on the lines of treating aging with regenerative type therapies, which those kids will need as well. So when we look at biological aging, we're looking at the hallmarks of aging. And you're right, not one treatment is going to treat the hallmarks of aging. So we have a platform, uh, it's called Integrative Health Systems, that essentially gives people access to a myriad of different types of regenerative gene therapies uh, that they can participate in to help Uh, find the gene therapies that work in certain aspects of the Hallmarks of Aging, and then work those back into treating a multi-combinatorial gene therapy uh, that will treat uh, disease. But each one of the gene therapies we look at treats a childhood disease. So if you're, you're wondering where these would work, so when you're looking at a regenerative therapy, we're talking about creating one treatment that Affects all of the diseases of aging. And each one of the treatments we look at actually is also has an effect of treating a childhood disease. So, if you're one of the gene therapies we look at is polymerase induction. So, the telomeres are the caps at the ends of your chromosomes and they shorten with each cellular division. One of the treatments for aging will have to be dealing with this problem of uh, cellular senescence and cell proliferation so you need long telomeres or else the the cells stop dividing so that treats biological aging that if we can keep the telomeres long will very likely um, keep a healthier epigenetic state in the cell and avoid things like cancers and um, other diseases like cardiovascular disease and alzheimer's that are associated with short telomeres But we can also treat a childhood disease called progeria that is the hallmark of that disease is the attrition of telomeres. Uh, These kids die in their teens, uh, very young, of all of the same diseases that we die of uh, at much older ages. So it's considered accelerated aging. Another gene therapy we look at is one that increases muscle mass. So in clinical trials, about 8 out of 10 patients uh, have their muscle mass increased in muscular dystrophy states. We're using it for an aging population, but you can see how driving the cost down by treating one of the biggest unmet needs, the whole population, with something like a muscle enhancer, uh, therefore keeping their body strong and making it so they don't uh, die from falls uh, associated with frailty, which I just sat at the bedside of someone who who died that way uh, last week. Um, By treating the biggest unmet need, we create a really affordable therapy that can also treat muscular uh, disorders, myopathies in young children. And and it just goes on one after another uh, with the gene therapies that we're looking at right now, Whether we're looking at four different gene therapies. Uh, we will expand that as we go. Uh, George Church, one of our scientific advisors, who's a professor of genetics at Harvard, just came out with his list of 45 genes associated with, with treating aging. And some of them we, we will actually pull and start looking at uh, for specificity as well. But all of them... Okay. Uh, that we target will also treat childhood disease as well.
0: Yeah, I would think just initially, you know, if you want to study aging, look at old people, not children. But I know that you want to help children because, you know, that population is near and dear to your heart and many people's hearts, obviously, that either have or don't have children. Um, do you think that in the, in terms of the study of aging and had a slow aging or reverse it or stop it, where is the most useful information to be had? Is it in studying children or is it in studying old people or what where do you think the best well, learnings will come from there
1: so the the best learning will come from the biggest cohort and that will be aging adults uh this is this is the the biggest fastest way to get there as far as where you would agree with this information right now it's in the meta analysis of research that has already happened uh, that's where you would have to go to right now what we're doing is we're starting to Get the first human data on how these gene therapies perform in humans because it's you know a, a one human outweighs a, a thousand mouse studies and two it just becomes exponentially more uh, uh relevant and so right now our the, the platform company that we work with, Integrative Health Systems, which we hope will become a, a, a an accepted, tested system for biotechnology in general. We hope it's the first place investors take companies that they're interested in, that they think are ready for human studies, to find out how drugs work in humans before they start to raise a billion dollars for the regulatory service that That system right now for us uh we're preparing to handle the data, but they already have many patients um who have taken regenerative gene therapies, and then bio the bioinformatics platform of Bioviva is going to be handling that data and um uh, assessing you know how how these patients are um doing how the how the drugs are performing the safety and trying to glean some amount of efficacy and low numbers as those numbers grow. I am no longer the only patient with a dual gene therapy. Um, there are several patients now that um, through that platform who have taken that and're really excited about handling their data.
0: so you said, okay you've had dual gene therapy. What have you had done to yourself, and what were the effects that you noticed?
1: Oh right, so yeah, we should probably for listeners go back a little bit um, so when I started Bioviva, I started it in two thousand and fifteen, and the whole idea of BioViva was to get human data on how well these drugs performed. So stepping forward as the CEO of the company, um, I took the first two gene therapies to treat biological aging. Um, One of them was the myostatin inhibitor, uh the gene therapy that increases uh, muscle mass in Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. So I was not a first in use for that, but I was a first in use concept for aging for the company. And the second one was the telomerase inducer, which had not been used in vivo, meaning in a body, in a human. It had been used in human cells. It had been used for over a decade in animal studies. It had... uh reversed biological aging in gene knockout mice, and it had uh, lengthened the uh, healthy lifespan of aged mice. So we were really excited about that. We're now doing another study uh, for in BioViva for telomerase induction in mice with our new viral vector delivery. So we'll be doing a longevity study now. The mice have just showed up to the university, and they're going through their quarantine now, and we're about to start. So uh, we're also doing a separate test uh, for the myostatin inhibitor in those mice uh, as a longevity study as well. So, uh, right, so we're doing a
0: quick, new delivery quick, quick for that. Quick question here. Yeah, quick yeah. question. So what is a uh, myostatin inhibitor and what is the telomerase inductor? What are those things? Yeah, so a myo,
1: So that's a really good question, and especially when we don't have visuals, when people are just listening, I'm going to try to make this as explicit as, as possible, because a myostatin inhibitor, like a lot of people just tune out, they're like, what is that? Like, just stop. <laughs> I don't even know what words you just said. So a myostatin is a protein in your blood that regulates muscle growth. So when you're young and you have a lot of growth hormone, it keeps your body from expending a bunch of energy, creating huge muscles that might not be great for your metabolic state, meaning maybe you don't have enough nutrition for all these muscles. So it's a regulator to muscle growth. Um, As you age, that regulator, it becomes counterproductive. We start to lose muscle mass at percentages after the age of 30, 35, depending on the person, and it becomes detrimental. Frailty is a real issue with the aging, falls, broken hips, not being able to climb stairs, walkers. You've seen that. That's called palliative care, when we start throwing devices at people because they don't have the strength anymore uh to hold themselves up. That's called sarcopenia. There's another condition called cachexia that happens after um, cancer treatments, and it's also muscle wasting associated with chemotherapy. So muscle wasting happens, and because of myostatin in your blood inhibiting muscle growth, it becomes detrimental. So a myostatin inhibitor, you can imagine inhibitor means to stop something it actually blocks myostatin's action of performance, not a 100%. That's why you know, with the gene therapy, we don't see people looking like the Incredible Hulk. But what happens is we titrate, meaning we decide the amount of dose that a person needs to take to gain muscle mass. So a myostatin inhibitor, is, in the case of gene therapy, is a gene that creates a protein that you can imagine goes out in the blood, it's Find the myostatin and it binds to it so that it cannot uh, regulate your muscle growth anymore in the way that it did. And again, we don't get incredibly huge bodies from doing this. We get you know, 10 20% muscle mass gain uh, from the type of therapeutic doses that are given. And um, so that's what that is. Uh, did that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, why did you have this therapy done? Were you experiencing... Muscle wasting and you know were you ripped afterwards? So you know what did you experience? People always right. like to hear personal so, stories,
1: right? So what what sort of uh, outcome would you get from this? So when I I did it because I was experiencing muscle loss. I was in my 40s uh, when I did the the um, the gene therapy. I was uh, 44, and uh, what happened is what we expect to see happen. Actually, I had been exercising a lot uh, before I did uh, the gene therapy and after I did the gene therapy I was on um, some immune suppression so I wasn't doing a lot of exercising and then it just so turned out that the information was leaked out of the company that we had treated the first patient and at that point I was on a lot of airplanes not exercising regularly and still we saw muscle mass increase We not only saw that, uh, we do MRI images before and after, we saw a decrease in white fat, which we would expect with muscle mass increase. The fat between the muscles uh, also decreased. Uh, We saw an increase in insulin sensitivity. So the the reason that you would do a a gene therapy like this is not just for muscle mass loss, it's also for what we call metabolic disorder or things that lead to type two diabetes that are aging associated. So when you increase muscle mass, you increase insulin sensitivity, and you decrease white fat, and we believe that that will be a great protection for uh, type 2 diabetes. I did not have type 2 diabetes, and I did not have clinical sarcopenia. I simply think um, that an aging body needs to be treated as soon as possible before you're diagnosed with those diseases or soon after. Um, if you can be, um, it, we also are looking to treat vastly super aging people. Uh, we're putting up a campaign, uh, it's called Help Them See the Future Through Maximum Life Foundation. And we are very interested in treating a very old population, but I believe that these gene therapies will be worked back as preventative medicine in the future. Uh, patients rather using them before they get sick, uh, rather than waiting to get sick. The second thing that uh,
0: we talked... One one, one quick question. When you did the myostatin inhibitor, Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: you experienced a lot of benefits, but you said you had to have your immune system suppressed. Why why is that?
1: Oh, so for a gene therapy, you temporarily have your immune system suppressed around the gene therapy. And for a few weeks after the gene therapy, you come off of the immune suppression slowly. Now, the reason that you do that is so the uptake of the gene therapy is, Uh, the best possible. You don't want to have a reaction to the gene therapy. You want to give the gene therapy time to work. You don't want your immune system scavenging out the therapeutic. And so it's not a a huge uh, immune suppression at all. It's a light immune suppression, but it does does affect uh, your immune system. You basically, um, uh, it has effects on you that, you know, You don't really, you probably won't be doing a lot of exercising during that time. You're trying to lay low. You're not exposing yourself to a lot of contaminants. Um, And uh, so it it definitely disrupted my my regular uh, exercise pattern for a few weeks.
0: But it's no different than, I guess, if you're on chemo. You know, from what I've heard, patients have to do the same thing. Unfortunately, I Oh, yeah,
1: it's less you know, the, less anyway. so than if you're on chemo. That that's much um, more serious. If it, the it, it, immune suppression is a little bit more like if, if you're somebody who had a, a, a severe a severe allergy and you went to the doctor and you would take a week two week long uh, treatment of immune suppression. It's not something that would actually um, make you um, you know deathly ill if you were uh, exposed to some uh, minor uh, infection, so yeah, it's it's nothing that severe. I, I I should probably make that clear, and I'm not trying to be appealing to people at all. I'm just telling you the truth. It's it's not some. You're you're not going to be going through some severe process to to go through a gene therapy.
0: Oh, that's good. And then you. you I, went I think I still need to explain to the
1: telomerase inducer. Do you want me to do that?
0: I was just about to ask you. I was going to say then you were uh, and <laughs> you did your telomerase induction. So what? What was the reason for that? What was the, you know, what did it do to you, et cetera? Tell me about that.
1: Right. So why would you do a telomerase inducer? Well, short telomeres are correlated with all of the diseases of aging. Um, They're associated with some childhood diseases as well. We know that critically short telomeres uh, are generally always found around the point of diagnosis. Uh, we know that telomere length is associated with healthy cell division. And so even if uh, uh, you you could discount everything else, you cannot discount uh, short telomeres in cell division. Cells stop dividing when telomeres get short. And one of the things that is a problem in um, uh, regeneration of the body is stem cell depletion. Uh, we want stem cells not to get depleted, and therefore uh lengthening telomeres gives them more healthy uh divisions themselves so uh this is a technology that's very exciting it's a technology that's been around for decades it It had been speculated, postulated, researchers argue about it, and yet there was no human data, so there's really nothing to argue about whether it works or doesn't work is Completely irrelevant until you get human data and i'm I'm always surprised at uh, people um, you know being in these these long debates as to whether a technology works or not when it hasn't been applied and so uh, I took that technology to lengthen the telomeres uh vastly targeting the stem cell population and dividing cells uh telomere attrition is one of the hallmarks of aging. Uh, So it's something that needs to be uh, addressed. It is when you lengthen telomeres, it just amazingly uh, targets a bunch of other hallmarks of aging and we can talk about those. So why would you wanna lengthen your telomeres? You want healthy cell division, you want useful cells and it does uh, seem to change uh, the profile of the cell. So it may have epigenetic effects on the cell, uh, creating a more useful cell. It definitely helps revitalize mitochondria and mitochondria dysfunction is the number one hallmark of aging that we see across every disease of aging. Uh, It also helps with some cell communication issues, and it may, in fact, help with stem cell depletion, and that would be one of our, our major targets is make sure that your body doesn't deplete of stem cells, which are your regenerative cells cells that can differentiate into any type of cells that are needed to repopulate an area of your body when there's damage. And so that sort of regeneration is something that we definitely want to target. And so uh, that is why I took the gene therapy to lengthen telomeres. And to be very clear, the gene therapy is the only known way, uh, assured way to lengthen telomeres right now uh, that we know of. I'm saying that, again, there are different genetic ways to lengthen telomeres. Uh, all of them have to affect uh, the telomerase gene, thereby lengthening the telomeres. And um, I, I'm basically bouncing this against small molecules. So there is no known uh, small molecule that I have that ever seen that has research that really reflects that you can lengthen telomeres in any other way. And I'm not a proponent for small molecules because if you have a small molecule that's turning on uh, the HTERT gene, it's very likely turning on other genes as well. So I think that the gene therapy is the most targeted, best way of actually uh, stimulating telomerase and lengthening telomeres.
0: How do you lengthen telomerase? So uh, Is there a gene that you're turning on when you're yeah, regulating the expression the... of it, or how does it work?
1: Yeah, it's called the HTERT gene. And what it does is it codes for a protein called telomerase. And the telomerase is actually what the um, chromosome uses to rebuild the telomere at the end of the chromosome. That's a great question. So telomere, telomerase, and h it it becomes very, very uh, confusing. I know but h chert is the gene. That means the human uh, telomerase-producing uh, gene. The telomerase is the protein that the gene makes. Remember, genes code for proteins and proteins make you. So it codes for a, gene, for a, a protein called telomerase and that lengthens the telomere, which is the cap at the end of the chromosome.
0: So, what did you experience once they uh, put your telomeres on the rack and, and stretch them out?
1: Right, so what we so when we did testing, we saw telomere lengthening in my white blood cells, so that's the traditional test that's the most common test uh out there, and so we use the traditional third party testing and we continue to test those. We can assume that we uh targeted a lot of the cells in my body, but not all of them because gene therapy doesn't at right today have the ability to target a hundred percent of the cells um but The outcome that we saw that we think that is associated with the telomerase induction is, of course, the length of telomeres and the T lymphocytes. I had a reduction in inflammation in my body that was significant after the therapy. It was about a six-fold decrease uh, from the inflammatory markers before. Um, and I also saw a reduction in triglyceride levels of about 50%. So we would think we would consider that as uh, correlating with better heart health.
0: Yeah, that's far more than any uh, you know cholesterol-lowering drug could ever uh, get close Yeah, to.
1: I, right, and actually doing it in a healthy way. So what we're hoping with gene therapy is... In, Honestly, if we see the same outcome from 10 patients that we saw um, in my body, that that would be, uh, hands down, the most powerful drug on the planet. Plus, it would be essentially natural. So it basically hits the aesthetics of what people really like. So instead of taking a small molecule that might damage your liver, hurt your kidneys, and have some off-target effect of maybe lowering some cholesterol levels, but putting you at higher risk for type 2 diabetes and dementia. We'd be talking about just at the cellular level upregulating a gene that already exists in your body that's creating a targeted therapeutic protein with no known negative effects. <laughs> it's pretty so, powerful. Okay.
0: These uh, these gene therapies, do they need to act locally or systemically is fine? I mean, what what governs whether something needs to act locally or systemically and can it? You know how how difficult is that a problem in all these? That
1: therapies? is a great question, and, and that is is why I mentioned how many cells we can target with telomerase, and that's why I didn't mention uh, a cell targeting issue with uh, the myostatin inhibitor. So with the telomerase inducing gene therapy, uh, the problem is is telomerase has or the hTERT gene has a localized uh, effect meaning it's not really shared outside of the cell and it only has an effect on the cells that are transfected with the gene therapy or transduced in the case of the body. So if the gene gets into the cell, it has a beneficial effect on that cell, but it doesn't have one systemically. That's why with the the turt gene therapies, they tend to be very expensive because they're created in titrations and doses uh, that are as, that are trying to target as many cells in the body as possible. The uh, myostatin inhibitor, on the other hand, is a system has a systemic delivery. So it's made, if we target it to cells, the protein is made in those cells, but it's shared out into the bloodstream. So it has a full body effect. Although if you do the myostatin inhibitor and you have it, let's say you had it directly injected to certain muscles, those specific muscles will benefit the most. And then it will have a system systemic effect on the rest of the body but um so you know you do want to think about targeting if if a person has a a particular atrophy in a certain area you're going to have a better response right where you put uh the the uh, gene itself there there is the um uh, new thinking and the new therapies that are coming out that are more systemically uh uh given uh targeting uh muscle uh, skull to muscle with certain tropisms so certain uh vector delivery that are is specific uh to uh skeletal uh delivery
0: so what's the um what's the particular role of uh bioviva i mean there's so much to do yeah can't one person I mean, can't do it all no matter how much uh, your myostatin myostatin's inhibited so what what's the role of bioviva what Project so Bioviva is
1: a we're a bioinformatics company, so we think that the most important thing is gathering data on what works and then getting those uh therapeutics that actually work in studies into the regulatory system as fast as possible using the study data as the impetus for um accelerating uh trials in certain areas. Uh, The trial, the regulatory area has a 94% failure rate of drugs. So even if you know your drug is going to work, but you pick the wrong endpoint, you will fail. So our study partner actually gives us the ability to look at data, know where it works, and put it together in a therapy, but we also have a research arm. So our research and development arm is at Rutgers University. It is for a new vector development that can actually carry, instead of today's most common vector, which can barely carry one gene in a promoter, it can only carry a very small package, our new vector delivery could carry at least five to ten times that much. So. On the research and development side, what we want to do is we want to have two uh, gene therapies available in the next 10 years because this is the slow development of research and development. And one of them that is for non-systemic delivered uh, proteins. So one would be a gene therapy where you have to target most cells in the body, and we would package the gene of choice, the many genes of choice, into that therapy. And the second delivery would be uh systemically delivered uh protein, so it would be you would um in fact use a lower dose because you would have a systemic outcome from the therapeutic so on the research and development side, we are working on uh the 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 dream uh delivery method for uh, gene therapy. That's one of the reasons why all of this data is important and why we'd want to look at so many different genes. And then on our side, we're just doing the bioinformatics, uh, looking at biological aging. In November, we should have a repository system online that people can use and bring their multi-omic data. We're hoping to also encourage biohackers to come and put their pre- and post-data so that, you know, your active biohacking uh, is not... uh, A selfish act, it goes farther than yourself to help a lot of other people. Uh, And then, what we're doing most importantly there is we are handling our partners' uh, patient data in order to analyze how well those gene therapies work so we can answer to the uh, regulatory system on uh, addressing these advances forward, show where they work, where they don't work, no data hidden, uh, and uh, advancing therapeutics for for humans, uh, again, in these more mainstream areas where we might be able to, uh, by treating such a large unmet need, actually create affordable drugs.
0: What are some of the other therapies, the names and maybe how they act, that the gene therapies that are here, Perhaps they're in clinical trials, or they're very close, or they're showing considerable promise in addition to salomerase induction and in addition to myelostatin inhibitors.
1: Well, so other genes that we're looking at is we're looking at PGC1-alpha for obesity, to treat obesity, and we're looking at CLOSO to treat uh, cardiovascular disease and chronic kidney disease with the hopeful outcome of increased cognition. Also, clotho seems protective against Alzheimer's. So that's things that we're looking at. In the traditional regulatory system right now, there are four past gene therapies, uh, all of them coming with an absurd, uh, excruciating price that most people can't afford. And we radically need to change that. And that's one of the problems of looking at orphan diseases uh that don't have a large population, is payers want to recoup the money that they've spent on research and development and getting a drug to market. And it just turns out to be a very inhumane uh, outcome as far as cost uh, associated with those gene therapies. They're, they're considered a one-time treatment for a cure. Uh, so people should know that about gene therapy. Uh, this is the benefit. You know, this is essentially the, the future of getting you off of trying to take a pill every day, things that we're not very good at. Um, trying to, you know, get an injection every three months or whatever your therapeutic dose looks like, a um, uh, gene therapy gives you the ability to, you know, a lifetime therapy. We, we, Even those companies, I'm not sure that they know that their therapy will last a life, lifetime, but they're hoping for 10, at least 20 years, maybe a lifetime. And this, this is the power of the technology. And I think that putting a really high price tag on that is going to shut people out from the humane use of of, uh, treating disease, plus when you're treating something like biological aging, I mean seriously, the whole population of the earth, the whole planet, right now the World Health Organization said that uh, non-communicable diseases, which are vastly uh, the diseases of aging, kill 70% of the global population. By 2050, it's estimated that aging will be the biggest killer in every country of the world and this doesn't need a high price tag for those companies to benefit off of, you know, selling technology. This this is something that we need to get out cost affordably to uh patients when the technology is predictable. Uh that'll that'll take some amount of years. Uh but it is it, a huge savings uh to countries. You know, each one of the aging diseases is about a trillion dollar cost. And then if you think about curing these childhood diseases, which is my focus. Um, on top of that you know you're you're looking at uh, an extraordinary amount of savings to insurance companies, providers, governments society at large. There's a lot of money lost taking care of sick people, and um the benefits are immense. The benefits uh can be shared uh globally uh rather than to very few companies
0: very good so what's the best way uh well, before that, what what are some milestones that you're going to be uh, looking to hit in the next year to uh, three years? Oh,
1: yeah. Well, you know, right now we're just uh, diligently working on a HIPAA compliant, uh, GDPR compliant uh, bioinformatics site so that we can handle all of this data. Uh, we're 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 working towards you know patient safety. We're huge advocates on our side uh, to making sure that. Everything on, on the integrated health side is running as smoothly as possible, but they're very professional. They know what they're doing, but, you know, we're, we're constantly making sure that safeguards are put in place. Um, we are working on, so that, you know, this year we hope to see 100 patients. Next year we hope to see uh, 1,000 patients come through the integrated health system uh, platform so we can analyze the data on uh, these uh, therapeutic interventions, and we hope that to exponentially uh, shoot up year by year. Um, again, on the bioinformatics side, we have, we're have we working with a couple of groups building the front end and the back end of a, a very secure um, uh, site for patient data. That's, that's a big uh, uh, benchmark to get over. And in the research and development, uh, we will be waiting for the first outcome of these studies over the next eight to ten months. Plus, uh, we'll be building new constructs that will be tested of multi-gene delivery uh, with the same vector. So we are—we've got—we're really busy right now. We are really busy in, in every uh, one of the aspects of this company.
0: Yeah, there's a tremendous amount going on. Well, very good. Well, what's what's the best way for people to uh, to find out more? You know, perhaps to read papers or you know see press releases, get in contact.
1: Right. So, if you want to learn more about Bioviva, go to bioviva-science dot com. Uh, You can learn about what we're doing there. Really sorry about the state of the website. We've. If you know a website developer that's really good, please contact me. (laughs) We've had a couple of not so great experiences, and we'd really like a a good experience with that. We're definitely ready for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, forgive the site, but um, enjoy the information. And if you want to learn more about treating aging, do not. Come to me. Do not come to anyone else. Go and read research papers, or hire a researcher to read research papers. You're going to be so thrilled. Really, really do the diligence, and and then you'll know why we're so excited. um Because you know, otherwise, you're going to end up in a debate with someone, and they're going to go, "Oh, I don't think that'll work." And then you're you're really just like bringing it down to opinions. Look at the damn science. It's really good.
0: <laughs> well, very good. Well, Elizabeth, thanks for coming back, and uh, you know you know I don't envy the amount of work you're going to do but uh you know it's for an excellent cause so thank you so much for what you do and for being here
1: yeah thank you it's it's my passion it's my life i'd rather work than do anything else so um i am i am at your service i am your servant uh Please, you know, uh, keep us accountable, ask us questions, keep us diligent, and be excited about the future. And when people want to volunteer and and participate, you know, please reach out to us. We're we're always looking for for an extra hand and extra help.
0: Very good. Well, thanks for coming.
1: Yep. Thanks for having me.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs.